Welcome to this shifting moment. This is a podcast in which we're seeking a profound shift in the way that we react to things. We do that through weekly discussions and twice weekly readings and responses from some of the great thinkers and spiritual writers. And my name is Richard, and I'm a spiritual coach and a mindfulness teacher with over 20 years of experience in treatment and private practice. And my name is Josh, and I'm an ordained pastor and a writer with a history of directing spiritual communities. We want you to be a part of everything that we do. We look forward to hearing your thoughts and suggestions. Please contact us at 424-341-3860 and follow us on This Shifting Moment on Instagram and Facebook. Cool. Um, yeah. Uh, we were talking about like words and language around some of these ideas that we find so truthful. One of the big foundational things that fell out for me when I first started questioning things in my faith and um, just, I mean, the way I grew up was here's, here's the Bible. <laughs> this is the fundamental truth. Don't, you know, you really don't need anything else and including other books, anything else. This is the message that was literally kind of told. And then, you know, just, just read this and you'll be fine. Um, and I found a lot of those fundamental truths, uh, weren't, it were all around language and words that upon further inspection, like weren't in there at first, <laughs> when you actually begin to study things and you begin to like look deeper, you realize that like, oh my God, like some of this language that's so problematic, the, the stuff that we really get caught up on or that entire like churches are, you know, completely locked into aren't necessarily grounded, uh, in the original sort of text or anything it's it's language and it's a it's a syntax error <laughs> um and the big one for me was that uh, the word homosexual in the bible does not appear until 1947 that there's no written like language around that idea until like the culture had a language for that and started calling it that and then we have bible translations that inserted that word in there uh which i found really interesting the other the other thing that i find fascinating um is that like there are names for god that weren't even in there so jehovah is actually a made-up name for god <laughs> so i hate to put jehovah's witnesses on blast but that's a that's not an actual like name it's something that we came to later and we decided to take two names and put them together and that became like a um sort of a a, a better way to describe the divine at that moment and then someone took that and went Boom. That's what I think is like the the core truth. And I'm going to go and make this own thing. Um, so it's not all bad. But what I'm saying is like a lot of times uh, we we take things as foundational truth when we really like it, we don't understand the full context and where it comes from and how it works. And I loved last week you you said pretty briefly and, and Maya's kind of widened at it, but that uh, like the word anxiety didn't show up in our actual vocabulary until like at the, the 50s uh around when you know some of these right. anti around, around 19 right around 1958 right yeah. right so i something like that yeah and i think you know i think you know it, it's a um i think it's really important for us to recognize some of the language and some of the words that are thrown our way and at what age they're thrown our way and the significance that they potentially can carry in our lives. And I, I know from the people that I work with that, um, 
you know, a lot of times if you tell somebody that is 18, 19, 20, 21, that they have, that they have chronic depression or they have an anxiety disorder, um, you know, that's, you've given them a label or that they carry with them like potentially forever because nobody, nobody's going to walk up and say, no, you really don't have that. Or, or maybe you were evaluated at a time that was, that you were going through a difficult period. I, you know, I work in, in, in treatment a lot and, you know, um, and I'm not, you know, I'm not really judging, but it's just an observation that, you know, I see a lot of people that come into treatment and the first thing that they do is they see a psychiatrist. And, and so their psychiatrist does a, does a evaluation and, and sometimes those evaluations can be about people that are kind of fucked up coming into treat, kind of coming into treatment. It's like, they're, I mean, this is, that's why I'm in treatment, you know, because I'm not doing very well. And so you're kind of catching things at the height of its, of its, um, of its, of, of it of having it having a moment, and so I think you know I try to you know kind of challenge that a little bit in some of my sessions. Not that I say that it's wrong, but just kind of you know point that out. It's like, well, I mean, you, know, you are not in a re very good position, and a lot of times in in uh, particularly in drug and alcohol, um, and in in the field of addiction, you find that that when people come into um, the re recovery or treatment or whatever they're doing, yeah, a lot of their behavior can mimic, um, you know, really serious mental health issues. But that, you know, once they get sober and do some of their work around recovery, a lot of that stuff can can change. I've, I've seen it happen. I mean, there's a lot of people that I've worked with over the years that if you look at their their initial reports coming in, they were, they had this long list of this and this and this and this. And now I see that they, they're in the rooms and they're sober and sponsoring people and doing yeah. great. And it's like, what? And they're not yeah. on any meds. Well, or, and I, mean, I know. And it's, and and it's, it's amazing. Like, it's like, what? Yeah. It's amazing yeah. what a couple years can do in terms of like, and I, I, I learned this from a, uh, that there, I, I roomed with a psych major, um, when I was in treatment and his, uh, we just would have fascinating conversations late into the night. Cause there's nothing else to do when you're in those treatment centers. You're literally just talking about life all freaked out and jazzed up on caffeine. <laughs> uh, but the, the main talks would be around like, um, because they were, they were going through, you know, the same kind of meetings and stuff that you just described. And, and I was too. So I was going to see, you went to go see the psychologist and then you went to go see a therapist and then you did group therapy. And I'll tell you one trip through Betty Ford for me, I got like five different diagnoses I've never thought about again. But in that moment I thought, okay, this is it. This for the rest of my life. I'm a highly sensitive person perhaps bipolar, perhaps I've got this going on, perhaps I've got this and diagnosed with like all of those. <laughs> and so you begin to just you begin to tell yourself that I am that story. So I am I am the words that they're using. And I'm nothing more than that when in fact, like, I, the big realization, I think, is you kind of your mind clears and you get a little bit of space from the damage in your life is that you can hold much more than you think you can be more than one thing at the same time and that's right. so important and 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 you're it changes your outlook it, totally you know i i i know if somebody i i didn't go to treatment i got sober right. kind of on right. my own but when i first came in to my recovery program i if you'd have evaluated me oh my god you would 
I was nuts. I mean, I would even say in the first five years of my recovery, I was, you know, probably a major depressive order or this or that or blah, 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 blah. But again, you know, I think, you know, life has a funny way of kind of uh, changing that around for us, you know, and I, I think it's really important to recognize that some of these disorders have been around forever. I mean, this is... This is human nature. It's what's it's what separates us from the animal kingdom is our capacity to feel and emote. And, um, you know, you could probably go through um, history and find out some of the great artists and painters and actors and playwrights and so forth and so on that, you know, really. And I think we've talked about it on the podcast before. And, yeah, they probably but. Again, the minute we start to channel um, our uh, our thinking or our thoughts or our, our our actions into something that's meaningful, we start to channel it into something that's meaningful. It it kind of um, it kind of offsets, if you will, the 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 destructive nature of whatever we're feeling. If you it, say, for example, if if you suffer from a depressive order and you and like me, you write sad country songs and everybody loves them because they relate to them because they were true. And, and so what happens to my depressive disorder? Um, not so much because I've, I've been able to see that it has meaning. It, there's, there's a larger meaning to it and it actually connects me with people rather than disconnects me with people. That's why I encourage people if they're, you know, because a lot of people come into my office and say, oh, I said, so what do you hear? I'm dep- I have depression and I have an anxiety disorder. And I asked them, I said, what would you, if you were to label your depression without using the word depression, what would come up for you? Because the minute we say depression, everybody in the room moves away and goes, where's your medication? Where's your therapist? Where's your psychiatrist? But again, if if you start to see that through the lens of, Maybe it's a little bit of loneliness, a little bit of sadness, a little bit of feeling lost or or feeling um, uh, maybe there's boredom going on or maybe you're you're lacking purpose or meaning in your life. And so maybe if we let go of that word depression and start focusing on something that people other than your therapist or a pill might be actually be able to help you with. Mm. Uh, there might be a, a solution to it. Yeah, because you know, I, yeah. a lot, a lot of time, a lot of times, anxiety is just restlessness. Yeah, and and how interesting that like uh, there's so many different directions my brain could go with this, but I, I one that like yeah, we have these sort of blanket labels for things, but the problem with that is. That's just like the old mystics used to talk about the idea that like all religion really is, is that you're throwing a blanket over the divine so that you can see its shape. Like, so we don't really know mm-hmm. what's under it. We can just see the blanket. Uh, and I, I feel like a lot of times with our, um, our, our, I don't want to use the word diagnosis because some diagnoses are very helpful, but, but sometimes with some of these diagnoses or some of these labels that we give things, like we're we're mistaking the blanket for what's underneath we just think we've got it like uh, no it's it's just the blanket right and and that's not there's so there's something holding that whole blanket up it's showing the shape of something Mm -hmm. what is the shape of it you know and I, i think too we get latched to those labels and so when we get to a space where maybe even just time has healed us from a lot of that stuff we still 
think we should be there. <laughs> and I, I deal with that right. all the time when it comes to like, you know, depression and stuff like that. I may be on the other end of a really, you know, sad point in my life and I'm living life in a different way. But that doesn't mean that I don't experience that same level of sadness on like a weekly basis for like 10 minutes. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> that that mm-hmm. still happens and that roller coaster is there. And what's what's sort of sad about that is that I don't uh, I don't give that part of myself as much care anymore because the the label I've given it is that I'm not I'm I'm not there anymore right like I'm not depressed anymore mm-hmm. so why would I spend the extra hour talking about it with someone or or self-care or doing it when it's quote-unquote fixed because those are what the words say <laughs> right so I think I think there's a lot of this that uh that we we sort of um we do damage to ourselves by just taking things at face value rather than well, I th- yeah. yeah, I think, and I think we, you know we have to be careful here because I don't want to. I really don't want to channel chan- challenge anybody's For sure uh, a- activity around their yes. mental health. And I mean, uh, it should always you should always be talking to somebody who has a lot of yes. experience in that area who who you trust and and err on the side of because I see a lot of times people think they're okay totally. and they stop taking their and that's not where we're going yeah. here. I'm just. Uh, what what I think you and I are talking about is not not labeling us as broken yes. because we have one of these uh, circumstances yeah, exactly or situation. It. it it's we're not broken because we have that. That's part yeah. of the human condition, and I it, and I think a, a lot of times that it that can be you know sometimes the most beautiful mm-hmm. part of who we are it creates a sense of uniqueness right and I, I, and a lot of it comes right back to the labeling right well and i um, think i think the labeling too with something like anxiety right the solution for that that will often you know start with, and again none of this is like bad so i, I really want to clarify that we're not we're not negative on any of these things it's just kind of pointing out how that language works in a spiritual sense but for anxiety for instance i have anxiety so when i you know, found that out, the first solution was, let's put you on this medication. Let's get you on this. Let's get you on this. And those honestly worked so well for me for like the first couple, it was a beautiful lift and it was what I needed to kind of get out of my funk Mm -hmm. (laughs) and awesome. I will always, you know, champion that. Uh, but at the same time too, um, I, I kind of, took a step back and said, you know what, the medication's going to do the work, right? Like it's, it's going to do all the heavy lifting. I'll be fine. So, so you, so you stop doing so anything. Stop, yeah. Be- and, and I think there's, there's where the damage, I mean, I think it's, it's both and right. Like, like all this stuff is in addition to not like, it's not a subtraction problem. It's not that because I have this now, I don't have to do this, this, and this. It's almost like, oh, wow. I get to add this to what I'm already doing. How right. awesome is that? Because that will kind of carry us through. Because I think, like, we're not, we still are all of those things that hurt us. Those things don't, they don't get negated. They don't get erased. And, like, I mean, I I could, there's a sense in me that wants to, like, do some big mountaintop, like, Instagram post moment where I say, look at the full circle moment here. Like, we are now whole kind of a thing. Because that's what culture really wants you to do like they, <laughs> the world really wants us to go like rah 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 i defeated the thing i slayed the dragon and the truth is like i don't think i'll ever like it I, nothing will come into my life that will replace or negate the hurt and the the space that that marked me and left in me but now like 
my my heart and my life grows to the point where I can include that also. It's it's like it, it keeps growing rather than I just keep making space in the only space I have, right? Like life is not uh not a storage container. It's not, it's, <laughs> yeah. And and it's not it's not linear, yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it brings it, it, I, I I get to include more. So I can include the joy that this new thing is going to bring and i can also keep like the story and and hold and honor that sadness and that craziness that i had to walk through and you know yeah and that and and that's and that's the thing and that's why you know i think um you know when we talk about anxiety and depression and and you know we have our medication that we take uh, i think it's really important to recognize that the medication we're taking is basically allowing us to have enough of a life that we're able to take care of our well-being, you know. And what I encourage people to do is recognize that that um, now that you may be not having such an acute experience of depression or anxiety, maybe you can actually get a good night's sleep. Maybe you can actually have a good meal. Maybe you can actually get some physical exercise. Because when you start adding physical, physical, when you start adding physical self-care, um, you know, creating art, creating relationships with people. That's what's really going to alleviate some of the anxiety that you have. If you just depend upon the medication to make your well, make yourself well without going out and living a life that supports that wellness, you're only doing half the work. Yeah, I love that. And I mean, that was one of the things you shared with me early, early on uh, in sobriety was, and I think you, you share this in most of your sessions, uh, which is, you know, we're trying to build a life here that you don't want to walk away from, that you want to show up to, that you want to be involved with. And, and that was the first time that I honestly thought like, oh, no one's ever framed it like that for me. All that's been framed for me is we got to stop you from doing the destructive things in your life. Not like, why is he being so destructive? <laughs> it was just like we got to stop the destruction, right? It's it's almost like because we're focusing on the top of the so, volcano. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're we're so focused on stopping things mm. that we don't realize that stopping is allowing us to move forward with other things. You you know what I mean? By stopping, we're starting actually. And but because if it, if we just focus on the stop, then it it. I mean, there's such a huge relationship between what we put in our bodies, the the food that we take in, um, uh, our our relationship with sleep, our capacity for exercise, our the connections with community, our capacity to create artwork or meaning in our lives. All of those have have just a gigantic impact on our emotional well being, particularly with um, depression and anxiety. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I love like anxiety for me. So when I get anxious now, my, my big thing is I'll go and I'll play music, which is such a weird <laughs> twist in my life because that used to be an anxiety. I used to stare at my guitar. I would wake up when I was doing music professionally, I would like wake up and I'd have all my guitars in like one corner of the room and I would wake up and I would look at those guitars and they would scare the living shit out of me because <laughs> it meant like, I was like, Oh, that's where I have to go and work today. I've got to go pick those things up. Um, and now, like, I, I've almost come back to music like I did when I was a child playing music, which was just like, look at how fun this is. Look at how, and, and I, for me now, it's not even like, 
fun even it's almost just like as i pick it up it's so cathartic like when i'm playing and i'm singing i'm tapping into a part of myself uh that really knows pure pure joy wherever that comes from <laughs> whatever that is it knows it and it's not that i experience that every time but i get to be close to that thing in me that really understands what joy is and so my time playing music I and mean, that might even be just 10 minutes a day five minutes a day just picking it up and, and plucking around or whatever but that connects me with the part of myself that really knows the deep thing. <laughs> and, and oftentimes in our day, we don't make space for that stuff because we believe that that stuff is like uh, afterthought stuff, trivial. It's stuff for a vacation. It's stuff for when, when I've got all my ducks in a row, then I do this. And that's so dangerous. Exactly. Like, it's, yeah. it, it's conditional. It's, it's conditional. conditional. That's it, like, I'll be, I'll be okay when this, that's, when yes. this Oh, that's so happens. perfect. I love, can you speak more to that conditional part of things? Cause I think that's a huge part with anxiety too. When things don't meet our conditional nature, that's when we begin to, you know, red flag. Hit the well, we, <laughs> we, we, we start to label, you know, if I was talking to a woman today and, and she was talking about her high level of anxiety and she said, well, and I said, well, where do you think that's coming from? And she, she said, it's me wanting to be in control. I have certain things in my life that need to go a certain way in order for me to be okay. And I said, well, how's that working? <laughs> she goes, not very well. And, 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 and we talked about, you know, continuing to feel that this situation needs to be different in order for me to, I can't be okay unless this situation changes. And, you know, a lot of times we'll find that, that those situations may or may not change, but ultimately what do we have control over and what do we not have control over? Um, and our, our work today is to recognize that a lot of times we are self-inflicting um, some of this pain on ourselves because we are attached to an outcome. That's exactly right. And we're at, yeah, an outcome is something we believe needs to happen so that we can be complete and whole. And my dog does this all the time. It's, it's bark. It's, it, he will bark outside. And I think he truly believes in his head that his job is to protect the home. <laughs> so he will bark and make crazy noise when like a mailman or anybody walks by our front yard and all it does is drive everyone who's in the house nuts. Like, we hate it. Like, I hate it. <laughs> I have to tell them all, like, please, just stop barking. And I realized how much of my life is like that, like, where I'm I'm barking at strangers when all, like, the universe or God or whatever it is just wants me to do is just rest. Like, just just take a nap on the floor. Like, that. I'm more happy with you when you do that <laughs> than I am when you're out in the world barking and, and trying. It's not... It, sometimes we have our own perceived like role or I, I I'm around to do this or I'm around to do that. And when we don't meet that criteria, that's when the fear and the anxiety flares up in us. Like this isn't, this isn't who I am. And, but really we don't know that. Like we don't know that for ourselves most of the time. <laughs> I think it's, it takes talking with someone else to truly get that perspective. And that honestly, like our early conversations a year ago, when I was in a, a really crazy place, a lot of it was you just kind of saying like, Josh, the, the universe, and you said this so many times to me, it's something I have written down so many times where it's just, I think your life is conspiring to get you well, is what you would always say. Like in yep. these different moments where I thought everything was effed, <laughs> you were like, it was, no, it was like, I think it was, this is going to work. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. it's try, trying to help you get yeah. well. Be because 
when 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 we find ourselves in resistance to whatever we're experiencing, what do we think is going to happen? When when we you know, and I know it's difficult because anxiety and depression and and some of the stuff that we go through sometimes it is really difficult. But if we can learn to see that as part of the human experience, and I think they talk a lot about it in Buddhism, and you know, if you do like a a loving kindness meditation or a self-compassion meditation, they will talk about, you know, recognizing that whatever I'm going through at this moment, there are people all over the world that might be going through the same thing that I'm going through. And so the minute I can start start feeling that connection with them and wishing them well, it starts to soften. It starts to make what I'm feeling not unique to me. This is people all over the world having, having, a, having an experience that is part of what it means to be a human being. There are people all over the world that have a major anxiety and major depression that don't have access to some of the medication that we have. They don't have access to a therapist or a psychiatrist. And, but they still, it doesn't mean they don't have the same feelings we have. It doesn't mean that they don't get scared of what's going on or afraid or or sad or feel hopeless or whatever they still have the same feelings we're having we're just in a in a society that feels like it's you know it's we just call and make an appointment and go pick up the meds but not everybody is capable of doing that and there are other people that they still have to go on and raise kids and and get food put food on the table and go to their jobs and get a good night's sleep they still have to take care of business and so I think it's really important for us to recognize, and that's, that's what the spiritual life is. It's looking through a wider lens, looking at the larger picture of what humanity is. I mean, we live on a planet with billions of other people. Yeah. And um, what? I think that, that, that widening the view, mm. widening the view is a really helpful perspective. Widening the view. I love that. And I, I think we all have to do i mean at this point in history where we are on what's today the uh <laughs> it's the seventh the seventh of april 2022 uh you gotta widen that view because if not you, we're gonna be perpetually freaked out <laughs> and I, I think that's that's a really important thing to like kind of mention right now but i i was thinking about this today um as i was i, I read uh a statistic i was just scrolling through instagram and i read a statistic on how um alcohol use disorder uh diagnosis has gone through the roof through the pandemic so more and more people have been diagnosed with that more and more people are dying of you know overdoses addiction all that kind of stuff um and what that points out to me is that man like this is the first time in human history well in, in our lifetime maybe uh where you know we got isolated to the point that like, I, I think the, the things that hold us back from a lot of that darkness is our connection. And because that, that connection shifted, and I'm not going to say it disappeared because there are ways to get connected, but because it shifted and we weren't ready for that shift and a lot of people weren't prepared for that shift and you shouldn't have been, <laughs> it was a, a freaky thing. Uh, we, we, we lost the ability to let out the steam that may have been keeping us from teetering over that edge. And and so this has been like kind of a, a giant 
push over the cliff. <laughs> Whereas we may have teetered on that edge, maybe for more and more years and years and years to come. But inevitably, I really do think that would have just reared its ugly head anyway. So what do we do with this giant moment where a lot of stuff is coming to light uh, at, at an advanced pace, right? <laughs> uh how do you how do you interact with that? Um, and and I think the the opposite of that is also true. So like where there's darkness, there's also light. There's the flip side of that coin. And I think the flip side of that coin is this is showing us all how vital connection is for our health, for our uh, ability to live good lives and not live in that fear and that anxiety. Like connection is I, we will leave this situation always understanding at least those of us who went through it <laughs> well we'll always understand how deeply important it is to be able to gather in a room together or or be able to you know uh connect with our friends and family and i i think yeah i, I think that's so vital and 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 I, so I, we're going through a period where the whole world is craving connection mm. i think you know and i think but i think we've got to be a little bit careful it's not necessarily just being in a room with people right. And so part of that connection is being able to connect with ourselves. Mm -hmm. And most people can't do that. And you saw that the result of the pandemic, I think, has been that people have a hard time sitting in a room alone with themselves. Mm -hmm. That's so true. Yeah. And it's it's the, the famous quote by Blaise Pascal mm -hmm. that, you know, that we have, you know, our biggest problem is being able to sit quietly in a room with ourselves. Mm hmm. And that's exactly what it is. I mean, once you turn off all the noise, what happens? I, Pete, Peter Rollins, who's a philosopher, always talks about this, where he, he compares the coffee shop to the nightclub and says, you know, the artists and the thinkers, the people who are in touch with themselves, they want to go to the coffee shop and they want to have conversations and they want to write and they want to think and they want to be around the buzz of conversation and hearing people. And then most of us who are not that connected to our deeper selves, we want the nightclub, which is I want to go in there and I want the music to be loud enough where I don't have to talk with, but I can be... Exactly. I can be in a... I can be around, be, be around people, but not have to but connect. But not have to connect, basically. exactly. So that in itself is almost a drug, right? Because like, that's what a drug does. It, it gives the illusion of connection and wholeness without actually offering the root of it, like the good stuff of it, the, the real meat of it. Um, it's that it's that shallow sort of uh, like I don't know the, the, that shallow avatar of what's really going on, um, and I think that's what we kind of found in the last two plus years is that like yeah we shut the music down. It's like someone in the nightclub just flipped the electrical switch, and all of a sudden we're all realizing like oh my god uh, the music was keeping me alive. <laughs> that noise was keeping me alive. What do I do now when the noise gets turned off, and how do I respond and stuff? And I, I think. That could be see, that could be perceived as like a really awful thing, but to me, it's like wow, like what incredible stuff is going to come out of this period of time because people have finally had to reckon with themselves. Like I had to do it, you know. And I I also think the people I'm seeing in recovery who started when the pandemic started, they have a different um, perspective on things because they have a different perspective on control. When you truly <laughs> have to understand that things are out of your control. Uh, okay, the other stuff that's out of my control begins to make more sense, right? Like I've, I'm, I'm understanding the whole world had to understand that. Oh, yeah, no, things aren't necessarily in our control in the way that we thought, you know, that that they were. <laughs>